Welcome to the Travel and Beyond podcast with me, Daisy Ayres. Join me on this incredible journey as I share my experience of immigrating from the UK to Australia and everything life throws at me in between. This podcast isn't just about moving countries. It's about growth, connection and discovering our true selves. Join me for candid conversations, unfiltered advice and moments of laughter as we shine a light on the highs and lows of this adventure. Hello and welcome back to the Travel and Beyond podcast with me, Daisy Ayres. So in this week's episode, I want to continue on from where we left off. Obviously, last week I went into a detail about my whole story and why I want to move to Australia and how it's always been a dream of mine. So this week, I want to talk about our journey today and everything that we've had to do in order to get to this point. I think a lot of people kind of expect that we say we're moving to Australia and we can just book a flight and go. But there is so much paperwork needed. You've got to really, really want it because it does take up a lot of your time. So starting off, we did the skills assessment. So this was going back. We started this at the start of January in 2023. The skills assessment was for Aaron because obviously he's a carpenter and that's the trade and how we're going to be getting in to the countries through Aaron's trade. So I actually did help him with a lot of this because alongside us doing the skills assessment, Aaron was also practicing and revising for the English test, which I'll talk about as well. So the skills assessment is basically one to prove that you are qualified and experienced in the trade that you say you are. And secondly, what the skills assessment for carpentry does is it actually converts your UK qualification to an Australian qualification. So Aaron does have now an Australian level three qualification in carpentry. So when he goes over there, he is like an Australian level qualified carpenter. And I just want to say that this is purely based on my experience. This is based on our skills assessment that we did for a carpenter and this is specifically for a 190 visa obviously there will be people listening that might be going down different visa routes they might have different skills or trades so it really will vary depending on what your skill or trade is and what visa you're going for but this is based on our own experience so the skills assessment is basically a lot of evidence proving that you work in the job that you're doing and can do it so so for Aaron we were claiming I think it was seven years worth of experience for being a carpenter there was all sorts of official documentation that we had to provide so this was things like his qualifications from when he was at college he had to write a CV with all of the dates of what employers he'd worked for and how long for and obviously the tasks that he'd been doing As well as this, we then had to provide seven years worth of bank statements showing that the companies Aaron said he worked for had been paying him. I think we had to kind of do like one per quarter per year. We then also had to supply pay slips from the businesses that Aaron had worked for. So again, it was one per quarter for every year that Aaron was claiming for. So seven years worth of pay slips. Because Aaron is self-employed, we then also had to get seven years worth of tax return information. That was like the official documentation. And then in terms of more the evidence side of things, Aaron had, they have these things called clusters. And basically a cluster is a set of tasks that the Australian government 
would expect a carpenter to be able to do. So it would be things like hanging a door, pitching a roof, fitting skirtings. Um, and basically we had to get photo and video evidence for as many of these clusters as we could with Aaron doing these tasks. So it couldn't just be a photo of work Aaron had done. Let's just say Aaron had built, I don't know, a stud wall. He had to actually be in the photo or video doing the task because obviously otherwise he could just go and get photos of other people's work. We were really lucky because when we got back from Australia, Aaron did his apprenticeship in carpentry and for the apprenticeship, he did have to have a lot of um, photo and video evidence. So we actually still had all of that evidence from when he did his apprenticeship. So we could repurpose a lot of that. And then thankfully, Aaron's role is quite varied when he's working on site. So anything that was missing, he was able to go in and get new evidence to support that. So that was a big part of it. And then when you upload the photo and video evidence, you just have to put a short description of what you are doing in the photo um then we had to do these cluster forms so that basically again for all of the tasks they expect you to do you have it would ask questions so it might be like if you were pitching a roof what safety procedures would you follow what would be the process what tools would you use and I think we had to do about 12 or 13 of those cluster forms so again just writing down explaining what you would be doing to complete each of the tasks and this will just help them to understand your proficiency I guess in that skill that you're claiming for um so that was quite time consuming going through and writing all of those and gathering all of the evidence and then the other thing we had to do was for every employer that Aaron has worked for so thankfully although Aaron's self-employed he's subcontract so he normally works for one company for a longer period of time but every company that he had worked for we had to get a statement of service from the business owner or the manager and basically in the statement of service they needed to explain like the dates that Aaron worked for them for what his character was like what tasks he was doing whilst he worked for them what's what um, tools he may have used when he was working for them, the types of job they did. So was it domestic? Was it on site? And it's, again, just to basically back up the stuff that Aaron had obviously put on his CV was true. And that had to be signed by the business owner or the manager as well. And when you submit that portfolio of work with the statements of service, the um, ATTC was the assessing body for Aaron's skills assessment and they would get in contact or could get in contact with the business owners to verify that they had actually written and signed that documentation. So we had to do that. Aaron also had to write a statement basically summarising his overall experience and the tasks that he does within carpentry. So it really is proving that you are a carpenter and that you're able to do the type of work that they would expect you to be able to do when you get to Australia. I do remember there were some weird things in there, like there are some differences, let's say, between what they expect a carpenter to do in Australia to what they expect a carpenter to do in England. We did actually use the Down Under Centre to help with our skills assessment. So I wouldn't have wanted to do the skills assessment without them, to be honest. We did have to pay a fee. So the fee for the Down Under Centre to help with our skills assessment was £600. But that was worth every single penny because we got given a dedicated skills assessment coordinator called Will and 
Will was always there kind of at the end of the phone or on email if we had any questions. He also went through all of the evidence that we provided in documentation and told us if there was anything missing or if we needed to change anything. So it filled us with confidence that once we submitted that portfolio with all of that evidence in, we were pretty confident that everything was there because Will had gone through and checked everything for us. So I know some people I see in Facebook groups, they do everything on their own. Obviously, it comes down to your time, your money um, and your personal preference. But for us, it was worth its weight in gold paying the Down Under Centre to help us with the skills assessment. So they kind of go for the paperwork with you. They tell you exactly what's needed and then they help you submit everything. So once you've gathered all of the evidence that's needed and will, will in our instance, was happy with what we provided, we then had to submit it to the ATTC, which is the assessing body. And then that cost us, I think it was about £670 to submit that for, the, for them to actually do the skills assessment qualification, I suppose. Um, and basically what happens then is they will review all of the documentation that you've provided. I have seen some people in the groups be asked for additional evidence, um, but we were fine. They came back and said, you know, they were happy with everything that we'd provided and we could go ahead and book Aaron's technical interview. So I think it took us in total about six weeks for us to gather all of the evidence and paperwork. So we were quite quick with doing that, but I was literally working full time then every evening I was just doing stuff towards the skills assessment that would be my advice every day even if it's just one small thing just do one little thing to chip away at what needs to be done just chip away at it bit by bit whenever you've got any free time if you feel like you can get one little task done it will help you it not to seem such a mammoth task um so that took us about six weeks in total to gather all the evidence. And then from us sending off the portfolio to hearing back from the assessing body, that was about eight weeks. And then after they came back to us and said everything was okay and we could book the technical interview, I think the technical interview was then booked in for about two weeks after that approval. So the technical interview, Aaron had to go to Leverhead in London and it's basically a Skype interview with a assessor in Australia and they go through your portfolio they will ask you different questions all about your experience and basically they're competency-based questions so they will ask you things that they expect you to know if you're a carpenter and Aaron actually said it took about an hour but he said it was absolutely fine nothing to be nervous about to be honest didn't really do any preparation work for it he just went into it and thankfully it was all okay because it took about one week but then we heard back from the assessing body that the skills assessment was passed so that was a huge relief I would say because it was so much paperwork and that was like the first hurdle that we had to cross so all in all let's just say from our starting gathering the evidence to actually getting the positive skills assessment that was about five months in total so that is a real big chunk of our timeline was the skills assessment um but like I say a lot of that was due to the waiting we were waiting eight weeks to hear back which by the way actually isn't that long I've seen people in our Facebook groups waiting months and months and months so I was okay with eight weeks I was quite happy with that 
So coinciding with doing the skills assessment, Aaron was preparing for the English test. So like I said in the first episode, the English test was something that Aaron just didn't want to do. It is an academic exam. It's two hours. It covers speaking, reading, listening and writing. Some people don't have to do the English test because they generate enough points without needing to do the English test. But we needed the English test to help boost our points. The higher points you have, obviously, the higher chance you have of getting an invite. And we wanted the best chances possible. So Aaron used the PTE app, which um, I think when he bought the app or he bought something on the app, he got three mock exams. I think there was two mock exams that he could do and it was just an app on his phone and you could do practice questions you could also do on on a computer so he did say that he found the PTE app the most useful I know a lot of people in the groups were on go to people like Sunny English on YouTube but Aaron just didn't really like his style of teaching he also did some mock exams on I think it's called score 79 so you can register and you get a free mock test so if you can use different email addresses, you can get more than one free mock exam. And I think the mock exams are really good for Aaron to practice and see which elements were his weakest. So then he knew which parts to practice. Um, something really funny, I'll, I'll never forget this. When Aaron did his first mock exam, I think he scored like, it's out of 90. And I think in the speaking, he scored 10. And at the time, I was like trying to be positive because I didn't really want to like worry him. I was like, don't worry, it's your first go. I'm sure you'll improve if you, as you start to do more learning around it. And basically, he did another mock test and he scored 10 again. And at that point, I thought, oh God, we might actually be screwed here. If he's scored in 10, he can't score any higher. Like, and he's been revising for a couple of weeks. Like, that's not good. Anyway, it actually turns out he didn't turn the microphone on on the computer. So it hadn't been registering anything that he was saying like in the speaking exam. So little tip, especially if you've got a Mac, make sure you switch the microphone on so it registers what you're saying. And after that, he was actually okay. So he did the English exam. He did take it two times because the first two times he did brilliant. He actually got 10 points. But he was just a few marks off both times from scoring 20 points. So he said, I might as well keep going and try and get the 20 points. So, yeah, he actually passed the English test on his third attempt and scored really well. And um, he got us 20 points, which was the best. I was so proud of him because that was something that was really kind of out of his comfort zone. Advice would be just revise find the best tool for you like I say Aaron found the PTE app the most helpful but you might have a different learning style and find a different method more useful and if you do fail you can retake it you just submit this the certificate with the most points so the Australian government won't even see how many times you took it and I think the English test was like 180 pounds so you do obviously if you're retaking it need to pay but for us it was well worth paying that 180 pounds again to try and get maximum points so take your time of it I think Aaron was revising probably for around four weeks before his first exam the English test was passed with 20 points on the 16th of March in total it's probably about two months from Aaron starting the revision to then passing the exam with 20 points, which wasn't too bad, two months in total. 
And then once we had passed the skills assessment, and obviously we already had the English test passed, we then move on to the expression of interest stage. So we again, we did use the Down Under Centre to help us with this. The Down Under Centre can help with your expression of interest and your visa submission. And you pay in two instalments. So you pay a £650 fee for the expression of interest support. And then when you lodge your visa, it's another £650 fee in order for them to do it for you. See so many people on Facebook that do everything themselves. For us, it was worth paying the £1,300 in total to have that reassurance that we were doing everything that we were meant to and in the right order because I would hate to make a mistake on my application and then that, you know, put me in a position where I might not get approved because I'd made an error. So it was well worth the money for us. So when you come to doing stuff for your expression of interest, again, with a Down Under Centre, like they do for the skills assessment, they have a portal and in the portal, it has everything clearly documented of what you need to provide. So most of the information that we uploaded to the portal for the expression of interest will transfer over when we go to lodge our application. So it's things like, again, a lot of paperwork, a lot of admin. So your birth certificates, if you've ever had a name change, you have to provide that name change like deed or certification, CVs. For both people, CVs have to have every single job that you've had since you started working with the start date and the end date of working with that employer. That was quite tough for us because bear in mind, we did two years worth of working holiday visa in Australia and we would work for companies for like a week. We had to include them on there. So it was quite, that was quite hard actually. What we found helpful with that was going back through emails. So, you know, you could search for like pay slips or emails from when you got the confirmation that you got the job. Also, Facebook kind of helps sometimes if there's gaps within your knowledge of where you were when. Um, we also had to have things like all of the addresses where you've lived. So it's every address you've lived at in the last 10 years because we backpacked within the last 10 years, that was hard because sometimes you were in a place for like one month and then you're moving on to the next place for a month. So we had to go back through and list all of the addresses that we had in Australia and the dates that you were living at that address from. Also had to list every holiday that we've been on in the last 10 years with the date that you entered and exited the country. And that was hard because we've done loads of traveling. We've been to like Southeast Asia, Bali. Um, and it had to be the countries when you entered an exit. Passports are good for that because you obviously have the stamp with them countries when you enter an exit. And again, going back through your emails, looking at what dates you've got flights for. Um, so that part did take quite a lot of time and you've got to do that for every person on the application as well. So emails will be your best friend when you're going through this part. We, because we're not married, we did have to prove that we are in a relationship for at least 12 months. So we would think that because we've got a mortgage together, like that would be enough, but it's not. So you have to have documentation. We had to do it for 12 months worth of evidence that we're in a relationship. It was like a letter for every month within that prior 12 months. That was really helpful to have the down under center because everything was in the portal. It was really easy to organize. Our migration agent is called Jenny and she she's just so knowledgeable, so helpful. You can email her any question and she comes back to you. So 
yeah we couldn't have done it without you and uh, without jenny sorry we couldn't have done it without jenny and jenny also gives you or whoever your migration agent is they will give you advice and guidance on which visas you're eligible for which route they think will be best so in our instance we decided to go for the 190 state nominated so the 190 is a permanent residency visa straight away. So you get permanent residency status. It's valid for five years. And after that, you either can go for citizenship or you would need to look at extending that visa. And you get you you basically apply to different states. So you have to be on that state skilled list. So every state in Australia has their own skilled occupation list. And what will happen is you can submit an expression of interest to that state. If that state wants to invite you, they will give you something called a state nomination. And that gives you an additional five points towards your visa. So there are different criteria for different states and different trades. So, for example, some of the states might say you have to have 65 points in order to be eligible to get an invite. Other states, if they're more competitive, might say, actually, if you're in this certain skill or trade, you need to have 75 points in order to be eligible to put an expression of interest in. So it really does vary state to state. I'm not going to give you information on that because I'm not a migration expert, but all of the information will be available on each state's um, immigration website. Really easy to navigate and find. So Jenny gave us lots of guidance on which states we were eligible for. And we went and submitted our expression of interest. So our first expression of interest went into New South Wales on the 26th of May. And then there was kind of nothing. Like it felt like we put our expression of interest in and then there was no states were accepting additional invites because they closed the tax year. So it kind of all went a bit quiet and we were able to submit an expression of interest for South Australia on the 28th of July, Western Australia on the 30th of August and the Queensland on the 13th of September. Um, and then that's it. Once you put the expression of interest in, you're kind of just sitting there and waiting. So yeah, that's where we're at. We've done kind of everything that we can do. We've provided all the paperwork that we needed to. We've put our expressions of interest in. It's just a case of waiting for an invite now. And this is kind of a hard part because there's nothing you can do. You have to just sit and wait. But it is what it is. Everyone going through the process has to do the same thing. Everyone has to sit and wait. We are on the lists of skills for most of the states. So they all do want carpenters. We just have to remain hopeful. So I hope you found that useful. Like I said, this is purely based on like everything we've had to do today. There is a lot of paperwork. If you're someone that's not in the process, but it's something that you're thinking about, I would recommend you to go and do your own research. So go on the Australian government website. They've got loads of information on, gov on immigration, but you can also go on and find, you know, a migration agent that might be able to help. So if you're in the UK, like I said in this episode and previously, we use the Down Under Centre. They can actually help you end to end. So we've used them for our skills assessment and for everything else. They've got loads of useful information on their website. So go and do your research. You do have to take it seriously. It's not something that is easy or faint hearted for the faint hearted. 
you do need to commit yourself if you want to do it and be really dedicated. There's no time restriction. So if you take longer getting the skills assessment done, you take do it in your own time. Um, but yeah, go and do your own research. If there's things that you want me to discuss in future episodes that you want to know more about, get in touch to let me know because I want this to be like a really helpful resource for anyone going through the process or thinking about it. And yeah, coming up in the next few weeks, I'm going to be giving an update on Pepper. So we want to obviously take our pet dog with us. And also I've got a recording coming up with my friend Tate, who's also going through the process. So um, that will be coming up in the next few weeks. But yeah, like and follow me on my socials and get in touch if there's anything particular that you want to know or you want me to cover. And thank you for listening. And I will speak to you all again soon.